It's got to be said we have a crook in the White House. I'm trying to say this as clearly, as unambiguously, as uh, forcefully as I can, because I don't think there's a whole lot of proof, further proof needed to establish the point. And even the Democrats know it. And really, even the White House knows it. Let's start by noting a very interesting shift in the way that the White House is now responding to the emerging seemingly uh, daily uh, revelations about uh, Biden corruption. Now, remember that um, Biden had said and press secretaries have repeated the idea that Biden, quote, never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings. We've heard this many, many times. But now we hear the following, quote, the president was not in business with his son. Now, notice that that's a shift. That's not saying that he didn't speak to Hunter Biden. He now seems to acknowledge he spoke to Hunter Biden. He was involved with Hunter Biden. He's, quote, not in business with his son. I assume that what they're saying is that there was no, quote, formal business arrangement. But this, I think, is a recognition by the White House that their position is no longer intellectually credible and that the ground is slipping away from them on this. Here's the latest WhatsApp message from Hunter Biden to a Chinese businessman. The Chinese businessman happens to be a guy named Yi Zhenming, a Chinese billionaire closely tied to the intelligence gathering agency of the Communist Party and of the Chinese government. This is in a WhatsApp exchange dated August 3rd, 2017. Um, and Hunter Biden is, is, is speaking. Um, Quote, the Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants from this and implicitly partnership. That's the context. So the Bidens, in other words, deliver the goods. The Bidens, when you pay for something, you get that thing. And what is the thing? Political access, influence. You want the Bidens to do something for you? You send some money our way and we will deliver the product, the product in this case being public policy. And the remarkable thing is that this Biden operation was and even now still is being covered up by the police agencies of government. They allowed the statute of limitations to run out on some of the tax offenses. This is what Gary uh, Shapley told Brett Baer in a recent interview. Um, and the apologetics on behalf of Hunter Biden are preposterous. Oh, these are the ravings of a drug addict. No, if someone says my dad is sitting right here and you better pay up, that doesn't sound to me like uh, the ravings of a drug addict. And moreover, even if it was the ravings of a drug addict, it's very interesting that the other party didn't see it as such. They didn't say, okay, well, this is just Hunter Biden on a co cocaine spree. We'll ignore him. He's asking for money, but he doesn't really mean it. No, a few days later, over 
over $5 million makes it way, makes its way into Hunter Biden's LLCs and is then distributed internally. So the simple fact of it is that they took it seriously. They actually did pay up just as Hunter Biden wanted. And, um, when Joe Biden is asked about this, you notice that he is, well, first he said malarkey. Then he said, ha ha ha. Then most recently he just angrily goes, no. But merely asserting these denials is not really very convincing when there is the record of bank transactions. There is um, Hunter Biden's laptop, a treasure trove of incriminating information. There's the testimony of Hunter Biden's business partners, and they haven't all spoken up yet. But I understand that there is some conversations ongoing with the House Oversight Committees. Uh, and then you have the clear evidence of a cover-up, which is to say you've got the Biden setting up multiple LLCs, multiple shell companies. These companies are all set up during Hunter, Bi- during uh, Joe Biden's vice presidency, and their sole purpose is to be receptacles for money that come in from foreign entities. And it's set up as the Burisma guy himself admitted in such a way that it would take 10 years to figure out where the money was coming in, where it was going out. In other words, it was set up as a lab to uh, promote concealment. Another sign that Joe Biden is a crook is the fact that crooks typically have code names. Um, You know, in the day of the jackal, you need a code name. How about the jackal? Well, that sounds pretty good. Um, You find, uh, by and large, people operate, when you're operating in an underhanded way, you don't want your name on the documents. And with Joe Biden, we see two things, two very significant things. Number one, he goes by the big guy. Everyone knows who it is. And this phrase appears, uh, it, it appears not only from Hunter Biden's business partner, but it's also being used by foreigners. They know he's the big guy. Everybody knows he's the big guy. And the other thing, of course, is that no money can go directly to Joe Biden. You're not allowed to pay Biden. You've got to pay other people. They pay other people. It goes through the shell companies. It goes through Hunter Biden. And then it's distributed among, well, it turns out, what, 9, 10, 11 members of the Biden family. And then, of course, very interestingly, Hunter Biden shows up at the recent state dinner. And I think this was sort of a sort of appropriate in a weird way because people say so inappropriate. The guy's under investigation. But I think it's appropriate because it's a show of influence. Hey, listen, this is what I'm selling. I'm here with my dad. I'm at a state dinner. We this is basically what we are in the market for. So the Bidens are entrepreneurs of a sauce of a sort. But what they're selling out, if you think about it, is us. Guys, I'm really happy to uh, welcome to the podcast our friend Carrie Lake, who really needs no introduction, as you all know, a gubernatorial candidate in Arizona. Uh, we're here to talk about her new book. Um, it's called Unafraid, and you can check it out at carrylake.com. Also, you can follow her on Twitter at Carrie Lake. Uh, Carrie, what a pleasure. Great to see you. It's been a little while. And of course, there's a lot going on on so many different fronts. I'll, I'll start by asking you just about national politics, because it seems like every day there are new revelations coming out about the elaborate scheme of political corruption, mm-hmm. not just on the part of Hunter Biden. This is not a wayward son, but rather organized by Joe Biden with all the other Biden sort of family members, almost Corleone style being involved in this. What do you make of, where do you think this is going? And what what else needs to come out for people to go, we've got a crook in the White House? 
Um, well, and so many of us, Dinesh, have known about this for a long time because we actually knew about the laptop. We did our own digging and, and found out about it. But unfortunately, uh, a few years ago, it was buried by uh, complicit press. It was buried by the tech tyrants who didn't want us, the we the people, to find out about it before the election because they knew that nobody would vote for Joe Biden if they knew how depraved his family was, if they knew um, that his character was not just flawed, but that he had turned his back on America and accepted bribes and payouts to, uh, you know, to, to turn his back on us. And so we've known about it for a long time. I'm happy it's finally getting out. We do have a crook in the, in the White House right now. The entire family is criminal, in my opinion, after seeing the evidence here. And I don't know where it goes. I think it's just going to be a slow and steady drumbeat of information coming out. And I'm assuming that the Biden family lays awake at night right now waiting for uh, the shoot of all on this. And I hope that eventually we see justice. I'm a little worried about that because we see where uh, justice is in America. The only people they seem to go after are people who like President Trump who are innocent. They're trying to go after anybody who are perceived to be their political enemies. So we'll see where it goes. The um, information keeps coming out. The hits keep coming, as they say. And I think eventually it will be the end of the Biden crime family. Maybe they should change their name to the Bribins because they sure take every bribe that comes at them. I mean, they boast about it, right? The latest uh, message, it's a WhatsApp message from Hunter Biden. He essentially says that the Biden family is, I'm not paraphrasing, kind of numero uno. There's no one better than the Biden family to deliver, quote, what the chairman wants. And at first I thought he meant Chairman Xi, but he's talking about the chairman of a big Chinese conglomerate. So what Biden is, Hunter Biden is saying is our family knows how to deliver the goods and the goods here being blatantly we're selling public policy access and public policy influence do you you think democrats know that this is now true but they're they still want to um circle the wagons around biden and why well the but the press isn't covering it the the mainstream media is still doing damage control for joe biden he's a traitor let benedict arnold looks almost like a saint compared to him and when when the fake news, when the media refuses to cover this story, in my opinion, they are complicit. They're part of it. They're part of the problem. It is their duty to cover this story. and They refuse to do it. So I'm not sure that real people get it. I mean, they still think Trump is the enemy, which is outrageous. I mean, we're finding out that all of these ridiculous lawsuits have just fallen apart. And when you look at who's behind pushing them, the donors, the Democrat donors who are funding them, it's... Uh, it, you know, you just go, how much more of this can we take before people wake up? I don't know what the outcome is going to be on this. Will he eventually be forced out? I'm, I'm happy to see that our Congress is starting to do some investigating and digging. Uh, but this is the, the this I've never seen anything. And I've, I've read history and I know you have as well, where we've seen such a sellout. When you talked about the chairman of a conglomerate in China, it might as well be Chairman Xi. Because it's all interconnected. You don't own a business without it being owned by the communist regime. And our president, the man sitting in the White House right now, I don't even like to call him president because I don't believe he won that that seat. He is a sellout to China. Maybe the American people, frankly, should start bribing Joe Biden to get him to work for us. Maybe if we gather up some of our hard-earned money and bribe the corrupt Biden family, they'll start securing the border. Maybe if we, the people, start 
bribing Joe Biden, they will start returning law and order. If we bribe him, perhaps he will start putting us, we the people first and give a damn about our country. I am furious about this. We need him out of office. And I don't even think we can wait until 24. The man is corrupt. He's disgusting. I used to feel sorry for him because he's he's obviously facing some dementia or other issues. But now I don't. The man is a traitor to our country and we need to get him out of office. Let's take a pause. When we come back more with the one and only Carrie Lake, the book is called Unafraid. I'm back with Carrie Lake. We're talking about uh, current issues and also about her new book, uh, Just Out, Unafraid. By the way, the website is CarrieLake.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Carrie Lake. Um, Carrie, you were, and you know, you spend most of your career in media uh, as uh, both reporting the news and as an anchor for the news. One thing that's really puzzled me is that kind of in my original understanding of the media, I thought, listen, you've got hundreds of news organizations, you've got thousands of journalists. And so if there's a big story, it's not really possible for all of them to cover it up because there's going to be some enterprising reporter, the Sacramento Bee or, you know, at ABC News who goes, listen, these idiots don't want to cover it. That's fine. I'll win a Pulitzer Prize. I'll get the story all to myself. But how is it possible I mean, I understand if you have Pravda, you have the state running the, you know, the media, then the state can say no covering the Hunter Biden story. But what, what amazes me is that you have independent media organizations simultaneously deciding almost in a conspiratorial fashion, even though they're not explicitly conspiring with each other. Well, I think it's that you think that because you and I come from a generation, uh, we're a little bit older, Dinesh. <laughs> we remember when there were thousands of news outlets across the country, and there still are thousands of news outlets, and they might have been owned by, one might have been owned by a family who owned two or three stations or a newspaper and a TV station, and, and one might have been owned by another family in another town. There were, there were literally thousands of owners of these journalistic entities. And over the years and during my career, I watched as they were bundled up and sold off, bundled up and sold off. Conglomerates would pick them up. And now we have basically five, maybe six corporations who control all the information of the mainstream media. Thankfully, there are some independent journalists, and that's where we're getting our information. There's people like you. There's a lot of others that are sprouting up, cropping up, and we're seeing that, thankfully, because that's where we're able to get some decent information. But when you have five corporations controlling all the information that goes out, they're going to put out the narrative and that supports their agenda. And these corporations, I think we all know this, they are pushing the, you, whether you call it New World Order, globalism, it all results in, uh, in communism, basically, where we are subjects. We become subjects in that situation rather than free people. And so they're not interested in covering it. And if you work for one of these outlets, which most so-called journalists do work for these outlets, if there's an honest journalist in there, they're not allowed to cover it. Now you look at about 95% of the people working in the media are social active justice warriors and activists that have been trained not to do true journalism, but rather to be uh, activists and leftist activists. And I, I wish I, I felt hatred in my heart, but I don't. I, I look at these young people in newsrooms and I'm, I'm saddened because they came up in a K through 12 system where they were brainwashed and indoctrinated. And then they went to college where they put the cherry on top and they finished off their indoctrination. And then they marched them into newsrooms to try to brainwash the rest of America. 
I'm angry about what they're doing, but these are young people who were brought up in a system where we're, we're indoctrinating a young generation. And we have to look long and hard at how did we let that happen and how do we fix it? You know, I was just watching a, um, this was the, the, the media room, and uh, I think it was James Rosen's. One of the journalists was reading the Hunter Biden text about, he was, he was reading it before the press secretary. You know, the, I'm sitting here with my father. I mean, yeah. it is a smoking gun uh, message about bribery and uh, even more incriminating. He's saying, my dad is right here and me and my dad will take vengeance if you don't pay up. That's the substance of the text. Now, the interesting thing about this, Carrie, is if you if you span the room and you look at the faces of all the other journalists, you you can see that they're very uncomfortable that this is even being raised. You can see it on their faces. They're looking away or they're swallowing or they're rolling their eyes and and what they what it means really i think is that they see themselves as a cordon of protection for joe biden and this guy was in a sense violating the etiquette by doing something <laughs> so scandalous as reading the news oh i wish i would have seen that you know in my book unafraid um i talk about how i had gone to the white house to interview as a journalist barack obama and i sat there in the press pool and it was a bunch of lapdogs just taking anything that the Biden administration said and, and, you know, you know, just staring in awe at them. And exactly one year later, I found myself in the press pool when President Trump was in the White House. And it was like those lapdogs who just stared, you know, gazed at, at the uh, administration under Joe Biden had become rabid dogs and were attacking every single word and syllable that came out of uh, the Trump administration. And I even heard, overheard people in that press pool talking about how much they hated Trump. And I remember looking at, you know, here I am from Arizona coming in for the day. I looked at my photographer and we were just, we were flabbergasted. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. What a difference a year made. They are literally doing the work for the regime. And I call the, the leftist Democrat party the regime. I believe that they are controlled by our enemies. It's very obvious when you see what's happening with, with Biden. And, uh, you know, Obama supports Biden. Obama was pushing for Biden. A lot of people think Obama has played a hand in what's happening right now. We need an overhaul. We need a hosing down of the federal government. A, we need to, uh, break up some of these three letter agencies. And once we hose it down, we need to bleach it out. And the only man I think that can do that is President Donald Trump. Let's take a pause when we come back more with Carrie Lake. I'm back with Carrie Lake. We're talking about current, current events and also her new book, Unafraid. Uh, Carrie, this is a uh, remarkable uh, forward to the book by, uh, by former President Trump. And I love the scene that he describes at a rally where he says, I went to this rally and there was a, a long roster of political candidates. And he goes, uh, I would mention them one by one, you know, tepid applause, no applause. Some people don't even know who they are. And he goes, then I mentioned Kerry Lake. And he goes, the whole crowd goes wild. And so I think, I don't know if this was the first time that it dawned on Trump that you were a rock star, but it looks like Trump recognized that, that, that you were saying things and doing things that were tapping into this deep chord uh, of public anxiety, make America great again. Something's deeply wrong with this country. And, and that's really the story of this book, isn't it? 
It truly is. And I, I'm just so honored that President Trump would write the forward for this book. And, you know, I had interviewed him. We talked about being journalists in my previous career. I interviewed him twice. He granted me two exclusive interviews. I was always fair with everybody I interviewed, whether it was Barack Obama or President Trump. That's my job as a journalist. That's how I learned to be a journalist. I don't think he truly remembered me interviewing him because, of course, he sees so many people. But that day, when he announced my name, little did he know a couple hours earlier, I had taken the stage and done a speech and I came out. It was my, my first big, big speech. And I said, I am an unapologetic Trump Republican. And the crowd went crazy. And so a few hours later, he arrives for um, the event and mentioned my name. And I remember him stepping away from the podium and looking out going, who is this person getting this applause? And I, I had stood up and I was waving and he looked at me, he pointed, he said, this is going to be a good night for you. <laughs> and then lo and behold, about almost to the date, a month later, I found myself here in New York City, where I happen to be right now, and uh, going up 26 floors in the Trump Tower to have my first meeting with President Trump as a candidate for office. And I told him about our, our movement, which really took the America First movement that President Trump brought in. That is, I believe, the solution to the problems we've been facing for way too long because the political elite has caused all the problems. And President Trump came in and said, let's, it's real simple. Let's put our country first. So I talked to him about our, our plan for Arizona, taking that America first policy, making it a statewide Arizona first policy, bringing back our sovereignty as a state. And he told me at that meeting that he would support me. One month after that, he put out the official endorsement. We've become friends. I admire, I adore the Trump family, every single one of them, President Trump, Melania, his children. I've gotten to know them. They are the most upstanding family that love this country. The media has lied about them so badly. It hurts to think about it, that somebody like President Trump, who would step out of his comfortable life, step into the fray because he sees that America is faltering and, and tries to help. And there's been an eight-year assault on his reputation. And I just want people out there to know, if you do not like him, if you um, dislike him, if you have Trump derangement syndrome, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you've been the victim of a an onslaught, a nonstop mass brainwashing scheme to bring down this president. Because they knew if they didn't do that, the deep state, the establishment, the uniparty, the swamp, if they knew if they didn't bring this man down, that he would save America and that their days would be number, their their uh, status quo would be over. And so they've had to do this. And I just hope people will wake up and realize they're being used by the media. They're being used by the political elite. And if you don't like Trump, you've been a victim of this massive brainwashing uh, plan. And And sadly, it's worked on some people. What uh, what do you think, Kerry, is the root of it? Because, I mean, here's Trump. We all know that he was a massively popular cultural figure before he ran. And we yeah. also know that his policies are hardly outside, you know, the they're hardly extreme in any way. The idea of looking out for your country first, getting trade deals that benefit the ordinary American. Trump has been in office. People have been able to see the results. 
What do you think explains the pathological aspect of this hatred? Yeah, Trump can be a little brash, but I mean, every doorman in New York is like that. Every doorman in New York is tell it like it is and give you a little piece of your mind. And so it can't be that Trump, you know, is a, uh, puts out a tweet that rubs people the wrong way. There's got to be a deeper explanation for this, uh, unrelenting hatred that doesn't extend to other Republicans necessarily. Well, what, ha- what you know, we talked about Joe Biden and the corruption. This whole swamp is corrupt. There's payoffs going out every day, Dinesh. I think you already know that. They don't want that to end. Look at the hundreds of billions of dollars being sent to Ukraine. That's a money laundering operation. They're trying to launder money, send it back to their cronies, the, the consultant class, the lobbying class. And Trump is truly like a bull in a China shop. And boy, do we need a bull in a China shop. And I talk about this in the book. I talk about growing up in the red pill generation. It's really Generation X. When, when Reagan was our, our president, we so needed him to come at that moment with his uh, Midwestern charm, his um, plain way of speaking, his optimism. He brought us out of a very dark period after Jimmy Carter. America was delivered in an ash heap, and he brought us together with patriotism and love for our country and ushered us through a difficult time. We needed that personality. And we needed the personality that came down the escalator eight years ago, June, when President Trump came down, a brash, bold, gutsy New Yorker, to wake us out of our slumber and tell us what's going on so that we could see it. Because we didn't see it. We didn't even know how bad the news was. Few people might have. I worked in it. I didn't even see how bad it was. And we needed that bull in a china shop. And frankly, we got to get him back. We need the bull in the china shop back in the White House because Joe Biden has frankly turned the White House into a china shop. China owns the White House right now. Wow. And Joe Biden is a puppet for the CCP and anybody who's the highest bidder. The only people he doesn't care about are the American people. He's got that border wide open. And that's why they had to rig and steal an election against me because they knew I was going to be the governor, the one border governor who's going to go in there on day one, hour one, call it what it is, an invasion at the border and start securing the Arizona border. And uh, they they absolutely couldn't have me. I, I have a chapter called Trump in Heels. They thought they got rid of Trump. And then here comes this woman who absolutely loves the Trump policies. You're right. They're not extreme. The extreme policies are actually the policies that the left has put forward. It's extreme to have a wide open border. It's extreme to allow millions of people who don't know who the heck they are, who are terrorists, many of them criminals coming across. That's extreme. It's extreme to defund the police. It's extreme to indoctrinate our children. It's extreme and, and frankly, criminal and disgusting to psychologically and physically abuse our children into thinking they can change their gender. And the moms and dads are stepping up right now. And they're not extreme, but they are extremely pissed off. And they're stepping up right now. And they're getting involved in politics. And the left and the Uniparty and the swamp have awoken a sleeping giant. And the moms and dads of this country, we're not going back to sleep. We're getting involved the next year in four months. And we're going to save this country because our kids are relying on us to do that. Our grandkids are depending on us to do that. And so I'm, I'm fired up. I'm excited. I wake up every morning. I say, let's go. Sometimes I add a word in the middle and I don't care if they throw lawsuits at me, Dinesh, and they're doing that. They're trying to sue me for defamation, for calling out their corruption in the uh, elections. They can throw whatever they want. This is a hill I will die on because I'm not letting my country go. 
Let's take a pause. When we come back, our final segment with Carrie Lake. I'm back with Carrie Lake. Our website at CarrieLake.com uh, and Twitter at Carrie Lake. The new book, Unafraid. And Carrie, let me ask you about that because I think, you know, the one thing that people think about Republicans is that they might be sound on policy and they might recognize. Uh, what's going on with Biden, but they're so timid, uh, so cautious, even with regard. I would have thought we'd have four impeachments running already, but the Republican approach is no, let's just make sure that we cross the T's and dot the I's. There seems to be a kind of slow motion in contrast with the Democrats who hit hard. They indict before they have evidence. Um, the defining feature, I think, of you as people look at you as a politician is you're well-spoken, you're measured in your voice, but you are unafraid. So I think a perfect title for this book. But talk about how you became that way. Um, how did you, how did you become, how did you have a temperament that is different than most Republicans? I talk about a lot of this in the book. And first, I want to tell your listeners and your viewers that this is not a typical book. It wasn't written by a consultant. It came from my heart. And it's a page turner. I, I didn't write this book like most politicians where they go, I need to write a book. I'm about to you know, run for office. I started writing this book after our victory was stolen and I was in a dark place. I wanted to tell people how a girl, youngest of nine, um, came from very humble beginnings. As a matter of fact, we were it, when I look at it, we were really dirt poor. We just didn't know it. And we had to work for everything. If we wanted shampoo, we had to work for it. If we wanted toothpaste, I mean, that was just my life. I didn't know anything different. And I worked my way um, to living the American dream because of this great country that if I worked hard enough, I could make it. I got into a dream career as a broadcast journalist, had that for 30 years, 27 covering Arizona, 22 as the lead anchor, uh, number one newscaster in the state. And then during COVID and after that botched 2020 election, I said, I can't deliver this news anymore because I don't feel it's truthful. And so I walked away from a seven figure salary. And that was the moment I walked away from, I, I really walked away from fear. Because I was afraid to leave that. There was a moment where I, I was praying to God and I just said, give me a sign. I don't want to regret walking away from the money. I know that sounds shallow, but that's a lot of money to walk away from into the great unknown and leaving a career where I was number one. And at that moment, Dinesh, I opened up the Bible just to a random page. I dropped my finger down and amazingly, and I put this in the book because I wanted people to see this. This is a, a Bible verse that that I believe God sent to me at that moment when I needed it. It's first Timothy chapter six, verse seven. I don't want to get too religious, but I'm going to get religious right now for we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can take nothing out. I felt that was a sign from God that Carrie, you're on the right path. And I believe it was because sure enough, right after I walked away and told the people what I was up to that I was leaving, I couldn't do this anymore. Arizona started reaching out and said, we need you to run for office. That is how I ended up in the middle of the political world, uh, in the middle of a political movement, one that we've never seen like this in Arizona. And now I think it's running across the country. I ended up at, in the middle of politics at such a pivotal time and how I ended up friends with President Trump and now how I'm on a mission to save our country. Uh, and it's not just me. It's never been about me. This is a movement of real everyday Americans who are recognizing what's happening and saying, what can we do to save this country? And this is why, Dinesh, I continue to fight for our elections because everyone did in Arizona did everything right. They showed up in mass on election day in huge numbers. 
And that's why they sabotaged Election Day. They couldn't let us win. They don't want the grassroots, the we, the people to win. And so I'm fighting our cases in court. And thankfully, Americans, everyday Americans have chipped in to help us fight those cases. And the people who run our elections are so upset about it that they're now suing me for defamation for having courage to speak out. These same people who tried to keep true and honest journalists out of the uh, newsroom, out of the press room when it was t- came time to cover this election are trying to keep me from speaking about it. So this is a book that I think it will get people fired up. I think it will uh, encourage them. And it's I've given it to my most burly uh, papa bear friends and my most girly mama bear friends. And all of them have said, I could not put this book down. As a matter of fact, Representative Matt Gates told me yesterday that he uh, picked it up. He was uh, in Florida. He picked it up because I couldn't put it down. I read it all night. And then I woke up the next morning and finished it while I was on the beach. It is a page turner. Absolutely. Guys, you got to check it out. The book is called Unafraid. Uh, go to carrylake.com. Uh, Carrie, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Dinesh. And thanks for being such a fighter for our country. We love you so much. I appreciate it. I'm watching the debate play out over the classified document case. And uh, a lot of it focuses on this new document, the an audio recording displayed on CNN. It captures a July 2021 meeting with Trump. And uh, it seems to be on the face of it somewhat incriminating. Trump says, I've got this document. It's uh, highly confidential. He says that this is secret information. And then he says, see, as president, I could have declassified it, but I didn't. So you think here there's some sort of a smoking gun. Um, and yet, um, when I look at the charging documents uh, filed by Jack, um, by Jack Smith, it turns out that um, the Iran memo, this audio recording, is uh, not among the underlying charges. And so you have a disconnect here because the media is trumpeting. We've got a smoking gun. They're really going to get Trump on this. And then when you look for the this in the charging document, it's not there. So quite clearly, something is amiss. Uh, either the government is releasing partial information. Uh, by the way, there's some debate about whether or not Trump even, in fact, does have any classified information at this point, or if he's simply referring to something without possessing an actual document. It doesn't look like the um, the government has any underlying document here. By underlying document, I mean a a war plan or something that General Milley or someone else has drawn up that Trump has, in fact, got in his hand. They don't know what he has in his hand. All they know is what Trump said. Now, Andy McCarthy, who's a respected legal analyst who writes for National Review and other places, has actually been pretty tough on Trump on all this. And so it's pretty interesting in this context that Jack Posobiec uncovered, just look back at when Obama was accused of leaking classified documents to the media. And this was Andy McCarthy. Uh, who says, quote, and that guy, by the way, is fully empowered to declassify whatever information he chooses to declassify, no matter how sensitive, no matter how damaging its dis- disclosure. So if it turns out that Obama effectively approved the leaks, they are probably not actionable disclosures of classified information. In other words, the president has an unlimited authority and, and, um, to declassify. 
Now, it could be objected, and some will surely say, well, wait a minute, we're talking about documents that Trump didn't um, declassify. We're talking about documents where Trump did not go through the declassification process. And here's the key point I want to make. There is no declassification process. Think about what Andy McCarthy is saying in the Obama context. He's not saying that Obama signed a declassification document. I'm, I'm officially declassifying these documents and now I have the right to leak them. No, Andy McCarthy is saying that if you leak them, the very act of leaking them shows you wanted them to get out. And so that is an act of declassification in and of itself. The very uh, the leak itself is proof of the declassification. The president, in other words, has the discretion to go about the, quote, declassification however he wants. So Trump, for example, by the same token, could easily say, the documents that I took to Mar-a-Lago with me were by definition declassified. That's why I took them. Why else would I take them? I declassified them and my action of moving them to Mar-a-Lago itself constitutes the declassification. In other words, Trump has exactly the same authority as Obama. And if it's possible for Obama to leak documents, classify documents, and by virtue of doing that, to have declassified them, then it seems to me this is going to be very hard to be able to go after Trump for. Uh, here's National Review again. Trump did not declassify the documents while he was president, could not do so, blah, blah, blah. Again, there seems to be a kind of uh, ignorant view here that there is some sort of formal declassification that needs to take place. Um, and I think um, what uh, Andy McCarthy admits, and in fact, I see other lawyers commenting on this on social media, uh, they're saying that there's what they call declassification by implication. In other words, if a document is taken by the president and he wants it and he wants to keep it, the fact that he wants to keep it and took it declassifies that document. So I think all of this, of course, is going to be subject to further scrutiny. I don't claim to be the last word on the matter, but it seems to me that here there is an emerging defense for Trump, which is to say, I took the documents I wanted to take, and in the act of taking them, they were declassified. Guys, I just found out, in fact, Debbie gets notifications on her phone, a massive Supreme Court decision overturning racial preferences in college admissions. I mean, I am ecstatic about this. This is fantastic news. It's one of the first topics that drew me into politics. My first book um, in 1992, uh, Illiberal Education, was all about affirmative action and about uh, illiberalism or intolerance in universities. So tomorrow I'm going to devote a, um, a substantial amount of time diving into all this and what it means. And um, But uh, let's just say the left is going to go berserk. This is, I think, uh, as big or certainly almost as big as the Dobbs decision on abortion. And it brings a whole era in American politics to an end. Um, in, in a sense, it knocks out the idea of, quote, benign discrimination. No, there's no such thing as benign discrimination. It's always invidious when it's based on race. Now, subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google and Spotify or watch on Rumble, YouTube and SalemNow.com.